Hello, everyone, and welcome to a live edition of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. It's uh, it's so great to be here with you. Yeah, it's good to be here with you too, Kevin. I wish the times weren't so dark. <laughs> yeah, I, I do as well. I wish that, uh, you know, and unfortunately, they're getting darker. And I suppose we should start off just we need to check in with each other. I think all of us are going through an isolating time. And uh, we want to know that, you know, everyone's out there and we're all caring for each other. And uh, I should ask, how many times this past week did you feel like you had the coronavirus? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like I haven't had any symptoms. But I mean, as we talked about last week, I recently traveled. It'll be two weeks on Monday. Um, so like every day that goes by, I'm like checking, checking my temperature a ridiculous amount of times. Anytime I like, you know, cough, which everybody coughs a couple times here and there, it's normal, or sneeze, or feel a tickle in my throat. I'm like, holy shit, do I have it? Um, and now, you know, they're saying that people who have it, uh, a lot of times, uh, there's the reporting losing their sense of taste and smell. And so I like will wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll like, I'll like smell the pillow and like, I'll smell my hair, you know, because I have like a really strong, I have a, not a strong, but I have a scent to my shampoo. Um, and I'm like, okay, thank God. And I can go back to sleep. Uh, but I imagine a lot of people are dealing with that. Uh, also dealing with just washing your hands, like more, I've washed my hands more than I ever have in my entire life um, in the last month. Uh, disinfecting or immediately taking it out of the packaging. Just things we never had to think about before. Um, consuming a lot more time throughout the day, wiping my phone off like at least twice a day. Uh, and yeah, it's like psychologically, anybody who's got OCD, I'm sure this is like driving them nuts. I can't even imagine. Cause I think a lot of us are, are now thinking like if we weren't OCD before, maybe we are now <laughs> because of this. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect to it. There's the other aspect of like, on top of thinking, maybe you have it. Um, you know, I have mentioned this on the show before, like I'm staying with my sister right now and she's a physician. Uh, her husband is an ER doctor. So there's that fear too. Like the hospitals where I live in Northern Virginia haven't really been overwhelmed yet, but I'm sure at some point they will be like everywhere else. Um, and once that happens, you know, he's going to be exposed to this, his, despite being in the richest County in the country, you know, his hospitals, like every other hospital in the country is running low on protective equipment. So like he's having to reuse his mask as everybody else is. And they don't know how much longer they're going to have all the protective equipment. So like, I have this new fear of like, oh my God, maybe he's going to get me sick. Maybe he's going to get sick. You know, I don't want anything bad to happen to him. Um, and I'm watching him and a lot of other, you know, doctor relatives and friends I have having to like make crazy decisions. And I know there's a couple people, there's someone who left a comment we'll talk about in a little bit, but like what's, what's happening to doctors right now. Like, I think it's really important to understand for a lot of us who are able to be at home and work from home and are lucky enough to have not you know, been laid off and um, are able to just make this work. It's like today was a gorgeous day outside. It didn't look like anything was wrong. And it's really easy to think that and believe that when you're not sick, but hospitals right now, especially in zones like New York City are like war zones. Like they mm. are like war zones. And the people who are on the front lines, who are like your combat soldiers in this war against a really deadly virus are being completely neglected and abandoned by our government and are being forced to make crazy decisions, like maybe not staying at home so they don't infect their families in case they become infected and having to like decide, okay, I guess I'm gonna be a hero and I'm gonna sacrifice my health to take care of people even though I don't have protective equipment. like. And I mean, this is really serious. You've got health workers across the country getting sick and sometimes dying. There's a, there's a nurse in New York City that just died um, in, a, in, a, in a hospital. She was working in a hospital where they're using trash bags as gowns. Like this is, you've got New York doctors saying this is like a third world country. And I don't say that lightly. I know people can find that somewhat offensive, but look, America is supposedly the richest fucking country in the world. Why on mm -hmm. earth? are doctors working without protective gear against a virus that nobody has immunity to. And it's like, this can lead to such a catastrophe too, because like 
even if you're somebody who like it's because there's some people who just have a hard time empathizing right so even if you're someone who's like well it's not my problem i'm not a doctor if you get sick and all the doctors are sick and the nurses are sick there's no one to take care of you like mm -hmm. there's no yeah. one to take care of you like if the doctors and nurses if enough of them get sick and cannot work like we're fucked your health system collapses in a way you could have never imagined and in a country where they're not really doing that much to contain this virus like america is one of a handful of countries who's like not in lockdown right now like in parts of our country things are just like you know these very vague guidelines like you know restaurants and bars can stay open if they only have 10 people or less you know these guidelines there's nobody to enforce that in a lot of parts of the country things are normal everyone's still leaving their house because no one's telling them not to or they're not taking it seriously because they're being told by our officials that it's a flu um so in a country that's not really doing enough or that much to actually minimize the spread of this like having doctors and nurses not have protective gear is even more catastrophic and it's going to raise the mortality rate because when you think about I'll let you talk in a second. I know I've been ranting, but I have just all these things on my mind. But when you think about the mortality rate of this that we're hearing, it's different in different places, oftentimes because we don't actually know how many, how many people have it. But one thing that's clear is that in places where the hospitals don't become overwhelmed, more people can survive because they can access the machines they need to fucking breathe. Like this is a serious mm -hmm. virus. Like 5% of people who, who get it need to be on a ventilator. That's a lot of people. Um, so if you're talking, if we don't have enough hospital staff or ventilators for that matter, but hospital staff who can actually work that equipment, more people are going to die when it could have been. recently read that like a lot of hospitals are coming up with these do not resuscitate blanket, like, like uh, blanket policies because they can't waste their protective gear trying to resuscitate people who are going to get them sick. And they have other patients to care for like that's a disaster we've already reached a disaster and this hasn't even peaked yet go ahead kevin sorry <laughs> well yeah well i think the thing that i would add to it all of those are important opening remarks and i, and I wanted to so everyone knows how the live show is going to run we you know i wanted to begin with some of our thoughts about what's been happening in the past week um, we did a show last week and we talked about many of these issues but like everybody is experiencing this rapid intensification of these crises and we've had so much happen in the last week uh there are just so many things that uh every day it seems like there is a level of intensity that gets added on here and what you're talking about is the the exponential growth of this crisis and the impact from having so many hundreds more cases from having the fact that um, the, the deaths are just skyrocketing throughout the country as well as throughout uh, other parts of the world. And I think in addition to the healthcare workers, what is underappreciated are the everyday workers that are on these front lines who are making these sacrifices because, you know, absolutely. Um, we see now that there are sanitation workers that are walking away who don't really want to put themselves at risk. They want greater protections. We're reading horror stories from Amazon facilities where people are not being protected. Um, Amazon's gone to like a, they, they came up with their own three foot distancing rule instead of the six foot distancing rule. I don't know if you saw that, Rania, but not, they're making but... up their, they're, they're, they're making up their own safety precautions, even in the face of like not really being able to accommodate because they have hundreds if not thousands of people in some of these facilities work days and, and shipments. And, and so, you know, you can't really do, uh, they actually had to forego security um, just because standing in line to go through security is a risk of spreading the virus. Um, you've got these facilities that have had cases of the virus and they haven't shut down. Um, you've got, you've got basically workers all over, um, you know, in these grocery stores, you could potentially be at risk. I saw stories about Costco's where people feel like they haven't been protected. That, 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 And you have places where you actually aren't able to work from home and people who are your bosses are still enforcing you coming to work, even though you could have some risk. And so those workers are on the front line. They're basically emergency workers at this point. 
um, people who are making these food deliveries, people who are involved in all of this. They're, they're um, at this moment, I feel they're not the most crucial. The most crucial are the nurses and the doctors that are going to be saving lives. But they're definitely up there as people who oh my need God. our I think support. That- if anything, what this is this virus has definitely demonstrated is that is the people who are like the most essential to making things function often end up being the people who are paid the least, such yes. as grocery store workers, such as gar- the you know the um, like waste management people, the people who collect your garbage, your mailman, um, the people who are still working throughout this to make things function while people who can work from home do are so essential and should be paid like. 10 times how much they are paid. Um, and we can talk a little bit too about this crazy corporate bailout that both parties yeah. just passed, um, which is so insane. I mean, $1,200, like for somebody who just lost their job, can they pay their rent with $1,200? And that's, they're saying for some people, it's gonna take up to four months to get that payment if they don't have direct deposit set up with the IRS. And furthermore, you have to have had a 2018 or 2019 tax filing. And the other thing is anybody who makes under $75,000 a year qualifies. And as you make more, you qualify less and less and less until you go, get, until you like make too much to get it. But the thing is there's people who've lost their jobs a week ago. Let's say I made 90,000. Let's say I have a family of five and I made $90,000 uh, a year ago. Or until until last week, I made ninety thousand dollars. I have a family of five that I support, um, that, which is a lot of money depending on where I live. Especially if I live in like a city, what the fuck is twelve hundred dollars going to do for me? First of all, second of all, I can't even get twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> so like, wh- this is such bullshit legislation, and it's like, you know, it just everything, everything wrong with America is so is being illuminated right now by this virus, including the fact that we have a corporate ownership class that is disgusting and sociopathic and is using this crisis to steal money from us to literally steal money from people while the rest of us are given little tiny crumbs so that we can maybe go on a grocery store like so maybe we can still go buy groceries if we lost our jobs i mean it's just so fucking outrageous and like democrats were getting all this praise for like inserting you know certain provisions about unemployment insurance which was good but like you guys should have stood up harder against this. This is an insane bill that literally siphons off hundreds of billions of dollars to like the airline industry, to Boeing. Boeing, which is like a dying fucking company because their plane kept crashing last year, is now being bailed out because of a virus. Like, yeah, Boeing should be on trial. Boeing should be on trial. And moreover, the companies, the big corporations that are receiving money as a result of this, um, they're only required they're like there's a provision that for the first six months after this legislation they can only lay off 10 percent of their workers but after that there's no provision like after six months they can take this money lay off 10 percent of their workers and then and then in six months lay the rest of them off and keep all this money yeah. it's so outrageous so unbelievably outrageous and then there's small businesses that are supposed to be being helped but i don't actually don't know how much they're going to be helped which is going to be catastrophic because a, a, a vast a high percentage of Americans work for small businesses. And those are the ones that are going to be hurt the hardest because they can't afford to keep their uh, payroll going because they kind of go month to month, small businesses usually. So either way, like all of us who aren't 0.1 percenters are getting fucked by this bill. Totally but think about it. We, we, we've seen the two-tiered system before us because Nancy Pelosi allowed for the loopholes in one of the earlier packages where it didn't protect people by giving paid um, family and uh, sick leave to all of them. It didn't cover corporations like Amazon. It only applied to smaller businesses. It only applied to uh, anyone that any place that has 500 or less employees. Um, and then again, that's what we're seeing here with this coronavirus package here, though, that uh, you're going to have a package where you're going to have $4 trillion. Actually, it's a $2 trillion package, but there's also $4 trillion that they're just using the Treasury is injecting this money into corporations that that's available to, to, to fill their balance sheets, to basically change their bank accounts so that they have more money to use. It's what they're doing. It's liquidity. It's, it's like free 
money. And then yet what you're seeing is that like there's unemployment insurance that was expanded for people at the bottom. Um, but again, like this bill is it's like what you're saying there where people the, the the layoffs the layoffs thing is more stringent towards small businesses than it is for corporations small business yep. like let's say your your local pizzeria that is actually having trouble because it has a tight budget may actually have to lay off people because they really can't pay their bills they're the mm -hmm. ones that would get penalized they're the ones that get demonized by this bill it's Amazon and Walmart and these bigger co companies and Boeing and uh, United Airlines and all of these different a bunch of that, cruise ships, a bunch of yeah, cruise ships. Yeah, I don't think cruise yeah. ships would be allowed. By the way, I'm anti-cruise. I've always been anti-cruise, <laughs> and now I've been yeah. I've been vindicated. My opinion on cruises has been vindicated. It's, it's within good reason, I think. I mean, what, what they're just. Um, you know, it's just a way for a, a, a bunch of um, upper upper class people to, to waste their money. And, and uh, I mean, ultimately, they all just end up getting sick. Right. And then uh, and also then there's, the, like, the... there's like because cruises ha are in international water, there's like a high number of crime that happens on cruises. Like people can get because <laughs> they don't know how to prosecute them because it's international waters. So like people often end up dying like mysteriously on cruises or like there's like rapes and assaults that happen on cruises and like nobody ever gets prosecuted. But anyway, you were saying about this bill, <laughs> this outrageous bill. Um, yeah, no, I just, I mean, we're, we're going to get to comments here. We've, we've actually got some new ones. I coming. just want to, before, yeah. before we get to comments, I just want to make You know, the one, one thing, go, go ahead. But I did have one thing that I wanted to speak to, which was a dilemma, but go ahead. Uh, the, the people who are watching our show love your rants and I don't want to get in your way. Uh-oh, you're freezing. Oh, am I back? Well, I just wanted to say, um, both, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most industrialized countries have passed legislation to do things like um, fund the pay of workers up to 70 to 75% until this is over. That is what a, a country that can afford to do that should do. And it's just yeah. like Denmark's doing that, Ireland's doing that, the UK is doing more than we are, and they've got Boris Johnson in charge. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm just, I'm so shocked because, and the reason these countries are doing this is because they realize that even if they're pro-austerity, you know, countries like Germany have been so pro-austerity, they realize in this situation, if after it's over, you want a society and an economy to come back to, you need to do this to like save capitalism. American capitalists, American ruling elites are so short-sighted and stupid. They don't even have a sense of self-preservation. They don't even have a sense yeah. of like, you need to do this now in order to save the system that enriches you. They don't even have that much sense. Like, and so what I'm becoming fearful of is that they're so stupid that what this is going to lead to is some sort of like societal breakdown where mm -hmm. like, if you have an unemployment rate, they're projecting 30, 40%. If you have an unemployment rate where that many people are unemployed and the government isn't doing enough to keep those people fed and housed during a fucking pandemic, you're going to have people taking their guns out and like robbing each other. You're gonna, people are gonna start eating each other. That's what happens. People don't think it can happen in the US because they think we're a civilized country. That shit can happen anywhere, you know? Yeah. So I, I mean, I am worried about that. That's something that's on my mind. Anyways, make the point that you wanted to make and then we can um, get to uh, well, <laughs> the well, questions. Well, the one thing I wanted to speak to because I think that we've talked about it a lot and I just wanted to highlight this dilemma very quickly is that while it's admirable what Bernie Sanders did to save the unemployment insurance to basically enforce the compromise that was agreed upon by the Democrats and Republicans, because it's, it's in, I mean, not only are we talking about the sociopathy of corporations, but we're talking about the sociopathy of Republicans who had managed to get Democrats to back some of the worst corporate uh items that you could have imagined include them in there a, a bailout that, that that rivaled and in fact people would argue might even be worse than what happened during the economic crash just because we haven't seen the complete and total collapse of financial institutions and yet they come out and we hear from lindsey graham oh actually 
It's wrong if a nurse might make $24 an hour. Oh, it's wrong. We're giving too much money. Actually, the unemployment benefits might lead somebody to not want to go back to work, which is a totally absurd thing to suggest. It shows how out of touch you are and how you have no understanding of what working people are going through. And yet it was said, about to blow that up when they were about to actually decimate the only part of this bill that is defensible, like one of the only parts of this bill that is defensible, which is exact, it's actually a carbon copy of what Bernie Sanders had proposed. It's the one thing that he managed to get into this compromise legislation. And I would argue that if that hadn't been there, Bernie would have been the one sole vote against it because, um, you know, I, and we can debate whether, you know, it was right for him to vote for it or not. I think the larger point that needs to be made is one that he was making, which is that this system is such bullshit that you can't pass a bill that doesn't just cater to the capitalist interests. I mean, he, he said it out loud in his live stream. I heard him. He was like, I don't see how with Donald Trump and this administration, you got Steve Mnuchin, that snake at the Treasury Department, um, leaning over to go through to get it so it was prohibiting any of this money. I mean, they had to fight for that. That wasn't there initially. The Trump properties were going to be able to have access to these loans. Um, and then, so finally, um, and I got the last hour, they were removing language related to how these businesses could use the money. Um, we didn't have the final text of the bill when it was voted on. Um, it's absolute insanity. And I think the biggest point is that like, you can't pass progressive legislation in this country. You just can't because there's so much corporate capture of our politicians and our government. And, I mean, and you can complain. Kevin, what? One of the reasons, like, it's just what you're saying that the Defense Production Act, that the one of the reasons Trump has hesitated to use it in order to make medical equipment and protective gear for healthcare workers is because the Chamber of Commerce is lobbying against it. That's one of the reasons like corporations in the Chamber of Commerce are lobbying against it. Like if there is there's no better proof that our government is run by a bunch of rich people executives that there, there's no better proof than the fact that that is determining whether or not we can make indus force industry to make medical masks like these people are sociopaths like they don't seem yeah, to and, realize. Go ahead. Well, and, and also I say fuck every single business or corporation that lined up and tried to jam something in this bill that had absolutely nothing to do with this crisis. We want you to know that Amazon asked for billions for their private space travel program. That's what Jeff Bezos asked. In the middle of this crisis, the Mars candy bar family asked for like $500 million. For what? For what did they want this fucking money? I don't know, but Bernie Sanders was telling us all that there was pork, that there was literal pork added in to the bill that had nothing to do with the crisis that, that people Shock were, doctrine yeah, yeah. Shock doctrine. lining up taking advantage um i don't know if it's in there Price now capitalism and, and i would argue that after this passed nobody in the senate knows what they just approved because no. they they only know the main planks they don't know what was tucked in it we will we will learn in the coming weeks what was jammed. I mean, it's probably it's probably like a thousand pages long and just full it of is. weird stipulations that this they're that lobbyists got put in through the whatever congressperson they have bought and paid for. I mean, we live in a disgusting like our government is disgusting. I've never been, you know, we we cover U.S. empire and U.S. war and all these things so much on the show, and I have to say, I've never been more disgusted with my government than I am right now watching them bicker and like bail out corporations and let doctors die while the country like fails. It's a, we're like, I feel like we're a failed state. We have the highest number of confirmed coronavirus cases in the world, more than China now. And that's an underestimate. Like that's an underestimate of how many we actually have because we're barely testing. We don't actually know how widespread it is. It's probably double or triple that number. Like, I don't think people, except for people who work in the healthcare industry or have been reading about it obsessively like we have, um, or like watch the news all day because it's their job. I don't think most people understand the gravity 
of how serious this is and how many, how many people are going to die. Like, I'm not trying to be alarmist and scare people, but you should be scared. This is really, really, really catastrophic. Um, it's catastrophic for the world. It's especially catastrophic for our country because of how our government is choosing to handle it or not handle it. And I think that this is like one of those moments where I would say that, you know, and it's hard, like, I, I don't like saying this, but almost anybody else being in charge right now would do a better job handling this. That said, as catastrophic as Trump is in charge right now, um, that said, this also points to some serious systemic failures in our country's healthcare system. In our country overall, the fact that you have so many homeless people being like, what the fuck am I gonna do? You have homeless kids who can't get food now because schools are closed, rightly so, schools should be closed, but we shouldn't have homeless kids who now can't get food. It's like the prison population is getting infected. All of the things that are wrong with our country are like are like joining together to create a mega catastrophe. Yeah, um, true. Anyway, we should probably start responding. We, we, to we should get to some comments. So yeah. we started about five or 10 minutes late, so we'll probably run a little bit five, like five or 10 over. And I, I wanted to get to all of these comments and include people because we really wanted to do this for patrons as a show of solidarity. We appreciate um, you your support. So we put this out to patrons first and encourage them to participate. And we've got several who are watching the broadcast um, and then, of course, it's going to be available to everyone to listen to eventually. Uh, and we thank you for your continued support. We know that these are times that are uncertain. There's a lot that the crisis is something that is hugely taxing and uh, leads to a lot of frustration and anxiety. Um, so we thank all of you who can continue your support end of April and beyond and help us continue to do the show. So that's it. I'll start with Des. Um, and Ronnie, you have some of these. So if you want to read any of these during the broadcast, um, we can bring mm -hmm. you in to read some of the comments. But we're pulling these from Patreon first. And then I've got a few here that are available on the dashboard that have come in from people who are just tuned in to the show. We'll mention a few of those too before we wrap. But this comes from Des. And uh, Des says, hey, Ronnie and Kevin, thank you for putting out content and being there for patrons through this time. For me personally, I'm crying a lot today because my son's father and I have decided that since I work in a hospital, which has had several confirmed COVID-19 cases, it's probably safer to have him stay with his dad and grandmother until the worst of this passes, and who knows when that will be. At least we'll be able to text each other and FaceTime, but I'm heartbroken by this and learning of the first COVID-19 death in my county. I'm in Washington State, by the way. A friend of mine just said their brother's test came back positive and he is in the city next to mine and works in a nursing home. Overall, this is just a really dark time that is heavily underscoring the injustice inherent within capitalism. So while I'm scared and sad, I'm also really hoping this is the darkness before a revolutionary dawn. However, I'm also infuriated by the racism we're seeing with people referring to COVID-19 as the China virus or the Wuhan virus. Would you please touch on this part of the subject? Thank you again and stay safe. P.S. March 26th is my birthday. If I see my next birthday in 2021, I'm really hoping it will be exponentially better. And uh, because it's a lighter topic, I will take it because my birthday was on March 10th and that was like the day before all the shit just started to like roll downhill and um, I, it, it's universally agreed among people who are in my family that we should all get a do-over. If you have a March birthday, we all really should be able to just junk this month and go back through it again because it's been one awful, awful month. But to um, Des's really crucial and important question, I'll put it up here, um, that we really need to talk about this racism that's been going around. I'm sure that you have some thoughts about this, Rania. I do, but I also want to first say happy late birthday to you, Kevin, and happy oh, birthday nice. to Des. Um, I'm sorry your birthday is falling in such a shitty time of the year. My <laughs> nephew's birthday was my nephew's birthday was two days ago, was March 24th, and he he was turning 10, and he was really devastated we couldn't have like a party for him. Yeah, we just had to do like a FaceTime sing along, even though we all live in the same um, county. Uh, and that's really heartbreaking that you've decided to ha you have to stay away from your husband and child. Um, I can't imagine that's an easy decision. 
And I know a lot of healthcare workers are having to make that kind of decision and it's not fair. You shouldn't have to make that decision. I'm sure when you sign up to be a doctor or a nurse or whatever position that you have at the hospital, I'm sure you weren't signing up to risk your life. Um, and I will say, you know, some of my own relatives who are doctors have said to me, like, if I can't get, uh, if they don't give me a mask, I will walk. I'm not going to work. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be a hero. I have kids to take care of. And I understand that. I understand that sentiment. Um, I don't think we should have to demand or expect that the people who work in hospitals should have to risk their lives if they're not given the protective equipment. It's like a labor issue. Um, so anyways, I, I, I think that like, I've never in my life had more respect for healthcare workers than I do right now. Um, and like, we feel for you. I'm so, so, I'm so sorry that it's like, it's not fair. It's fucked up. Um, as for the race. Well, and some people visit, making the choice to have to stay at the hospital and be there like almost the entire like, day and day. Well, yeah, some people, yeah. some people are saying they're getting hotel rooms. I mean, depending on how bad the outbreak is, they know they're being exposed to it. And that's why doctors and nurses and healthcare workers are getting so sick because they're being repeatedly exposed to it over and over. And I, you know, I want to point out that um, in China, uh, they, what they did was really smart. They, Wuhan, when it was like 500 infections and like 50 dead or something like that, or maybe less than 50 dead, that's when they locked down Wuhan like locked it down, like hard, shelter in place, no one can leave and forced uh, to try and control, to try and contain the virus. And then what they did is they had doctors from the rest of the country, which had like lighter versions of a lockdown because they weren't as, in, the infection rate wasn't so high. They sent 40,000 doctors from other parts of the country to Wuhan. Um, and while a lot of doctors initially got infected, the majority, I believe, or almost, I was reading in the New York Times, like those 40,000 doctors who were sent there were given all the proper protective equipment they needed, given rooms to take off the equipment when they were done with their shifts, and masks and, um, and like face shields, because when people are being intubated, they like, they like spit on you. Um, and none of them got infected. And I just like, I'm looking at that and I'm like, wow, I can't imagine our country being able to do that because we're not controlling anything. But anyway, about the racism aspect of it, um, it's really horrifying. The idea of calling it the China virus or the Wuhan virus, it has such a detrimental impact on the way Asians get treated as a result. And it's really just a way for our government and our inept government officials like Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo to deflect blame for their uh, lack of action for three months on this issue. It's their fault this is happening in the US. You can blame China all you want for being the place where it originated, okay? But we have known about this since January and nobody took it seriously, not in Europe and not in America. Um, and now Europe is starting to take it seriously and so they'll eventually get it contained, but America still is not taking it seriously. Uh, and that is the fault of our government, our institutions, and that's the only reason they're using this language. They're using it for geopolitical purposes as well, because, you know, the ongoing Cold War with China. But it's also to deflect blame. And that's what that's what this administration is trying to do. They don't want they don't want to be blamed. And I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around. It's not just at this administration or Republicans like Andrew Cuomo has become this hero overnight. And I understand why, because, you know, compared to Trump, he's this more reasonable voice that's speaking frankly about what's happening. But two weeks ago, he wasn't taking it seriously either. He was, he refused to close schools two weeks ago. He was like, kids don't, you know, kids, why do we need to close schools? Kids aren't passing it around. Like just making stupid comments like that, that weren't based in reality. Um, so this isn't a failure on every institutional level imaginable uh, across the board. Um, and so that's why you're gonna see, I think this, this propaganda about China, China, China ramp up even more as a result. Uh, because the U.S., as we noticed from the 2016 election, when nobody wanted to take responsibility for Trump getting elected, U.S. elites will go out of their way to deflect blame and blame whatever else they can that in a way that, um, that benefits their ideology and their view of the world. Well, I think you have to focus on the positive, which is no matter what the officials in the Trump White House say, no matter what you hear on CNN. I mean, one thing that uh, Jake Tapper is constantly doing whenever he talks about China and it's annoying as shit is he's like, well, we have to know that whatever is coming from the Chinese government 
it may be a lie. It's, they don't always tell the truth. This is like his- I'm like, like America. I'm like America because we always tell the truth. <laughs> but the thing that we need to focus on is no matter what we say that is just ignorant, scientists, the scientists are paying close attention to what China did. They're paying close attention because they know uh, and the medical professional professionals are paying close attention. They know that what was done is useful and could possibly be applied to where they work at their hospital. And they are taking these the same way that they have learned from South Korea, the mm -hmm. same way we've heard that there were things that were learned from Taiwan, um, things that they're learning that went wrong in Italy that they don't want to do, things that worked in the crisis when it was escalating that Italian doctors were doing that now we're going to have to do here. They're going to be taking that. So just the same, I think it's really dark and sad that um, in a moment when there should be solidarity across the world, that you would let the um, imperialism of the country just get to, I mean, in the same way that you see capitalism undermine our response, you have right. imperialism filter down and undermine the response. And on that note, I think it's important to, to uh, state that um, I think this is a moment that's really, really gonna change the balance of power in the world, especially as far as perception goes. Because if you look at the US and China, which are locked in this you know, new battle for who's gonna be the superpower, um, and for you know, the US is like all about domination, you see what China's doing. China is sending aid all over the world. And by the way, China, if you're watching, please send us aid, we need it. <laughs> um, China is sending aid all over the world to Italy, to, uh, to the UK, um, to various parts of Europe, all across Africa. You've got like this Chinese billionaire just donating protective equipment. That's a really big deal. Um, what's the US doing? The US is ramping up its sanctions on Iran, which has been one of the the hardest hit place east um, that that already has been had its medical sector devastated by U.S. sanctions and caused many shortages. You have the U.S. ramping up sanctions on Venezuela and going even beyond that, where we can talk about a little bit more about that uh, too, about what they've done to Venezuela, where today you have the U.S. announcing that it, this $15 million, uh, uh, what's it called, ransom, Right? No, not ransom. What's well, the bounties. Bounty. bounty. Thank you. A fifteen million dollar bounty for uh, the president of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, who they're calling like a narco trafficker, which isn't even true. Uh, in fact, the narco traffickers in Latin America happen to be America's allies. Um, anyway, it's just like completely outrageous. Um, and then you've got the U.S. telling the world, the State Department, literally warning the world not to accept help from Cuban doctors. You've got Cuba, a country that's also being sanctioned by the US, um, send, doing what it always does when there's a global health emergency or any health emergency anywhere, which is sending out these brigades of doctors, which they sent to Italy, which desperately needs them and was like praising Cuba for this. And, they, and, and it also uh, Cuba, I believe, is helping the UK as well. And the US response to that is to warn the world not to accept life-saving help. I mean, what, I think when we come out of this, you're going to see the U.S. in a much weaker position geopolitically, and everyone knows it, um, and with a completely diminished image across the world. Like, if there was, uh, there was a significant chunk of the world that watches Hollywood films and sees the U.S. as this ideal place that they want to be like and want to live in. That's an image that really does exist. And that is being proven to be a complete lie right now like a complete lie. Anybody who had that view of the US right now is like, fuck off, where's China? Um, and including governments, by the way, including governments. So they're in Russia as well. Russia has been sending aid to Italy, which in Russia is being sanctioned by the EU. Russia is mm -hmm. under sanction by the EU. And despite that is still sending aid to an EU country. Like this is going to dramatically shift the, the global power balance. So if there's any light at the end of the tunnel, that might be it. Is that it'll weaken U.S. It'll weaken U.S. imperialism to some degree. That said, you know, a week ago Mike Pompeo was debating whether we should maybe use this opportunity to bomb Iran. So who knows what crazy shit our psycho overlords are going to do to try and distract from coronavirus? I don't know if we could actually handle an invasion of anything right now because we have an immediate emergency inside the country. But like, you never know with these people. They're psychotic. Yeah.
Yeah, and we don't know if there's something after issuing these bounties against you know the, the leaders of Venezuela. We have no idea. Let's get to another comment Sorry, here. Sorry, I'm being distracted I'm, by my No, name. it's cool. I'm going to roll to <laughs> You're not even to, She's coming. She's away. Hey. Uh, all right. So, Ronnie, yeah, one of our uh, patrons here has uh, shared with us that uh, Ronnie came down with the virus back on Friday. <sighs> been saying for several weeks that the open plan office I work in should have closed outside Southeast Asia countries are waiting four weeks too late to lock down to prevent health services being overwhelmed. I believe Ronnie is in the UK or at least um, in Europe because he said he was going to tune in at 1 a.m. To, uh, to to watch this. So that's about the time difference. And so Ronnie says that testing has been very weak in the UK, still not tested 100,000. This is the amount of tests South Korea was doing each and every day weeks ago. Government's not following the World Health Organization's advice to test, test, test. Uh, let's get to George. We'll do one more here before we comment Wait, on some of on. these. Okay, sorry. I just, you like, I'm starting, I'm trying to digest that this person has been diagnosed with corona or does not. No, has, yeah. Has test, not. test, I have the virus, Ronnie okay. said. Okay. Ronnie shared. Um, didn't suggest that they were doing poorly, so that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. But um, But yeah, definitely clear here that Ronnie does not feel like proper precautions were, were taken. I mean, he kind of feels like Germany and Denmark have taken some good steps, but in the UK, we know, I mean, we, we talked about this on our show the past week and it's been said over and over just how horrid the response was from the UK government to basically let this virus and they openly Boris Johnson openly spoke about, we want people to get infected. We're going to build herd immunity. It was so, I mean, psycho. Such uh, a psycho. Like, uh, I mean, Donald Trump didn't even say that because he doesn't even understand that concept. But, uh, but, but like, okay, let's get to George. So George is a patron and says thank you to both uh, Rania and me for all that we're doing. Sincerely appreciated. My best wishes to the previous posters. The uh -oh. next comment is to thank Rania specifically for sharing her experience with hypochondria. This is a first for me and although I feel good physically <laughs> I find myself checking how I am feeling constantly especially now that I that one of my fellow employees is sick I find that takes my attention and I know part of being healthy is feeling good I am being mindful yet as always finding balance is everything my coworker has not been tested by the way my natural aberration is OCD I feel like this is exactly what I've been trained for my entire life I'm now doing everyone in the world um, I'm go by going nuts with the bleach, just nuts, round peg into round hole. We don't yet, we don't know yet, but that's because testing here in Israel is lapsing and it's exploding. So he's so he's in Israel and he says that the religious communities. He's in the, he's in the northern Galilee. He says, yeah. Okay, they ref they refuse the meeting cap rule for weeks and are spreading it at all the synagogues. Next comment, Israelis are terrible listeners and they do not like to be told what to do. Most Israelis with whom I've spoken are paying attention to their television and not independent news. Yeah, you know, um, I think that probably is something that Israelis share with Americans. Americans have this very individualistic culture where like, no one can tell me what to do. Like, if you tell me not to go to the beach, I'm gonna bring my whole family, you know? That's like a very, like yeah. personal freedom kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit different with Israelis, but it's a little similar as well. Um, Settler colonialism. Also, he had a second comment. I don't where he's talking about Jordan and Lebanon are locked down. And we know it's exploding in Egypt and likely Syria where they don't do they even have testing equipment. Um, there's some tests happening in Syria. Not many. It's going to be a disaster in Syria because the U.S. Well, Syria used to have a very strong healthcare system, but the U.S. war on Syria has destroyed that. Um, and now it's much weaker and definitely they don't have the necessary equipment they need to deal with some of the worst cases. I think what's important to understand, by the way, Ronnie, I'm so sorry you have this, but if it's any consolation, if you're watching, if it's any consolation, it's, I know it's, it's probably super scary. I know if I had it, I'd be really scared because you don't know how your body's gonna react to it. And you're probably reading the most horrible stories about like, people dying from it, especially even healthy people dying from it. But if it's any consolation, like a lot of the stories that we are hearing are the worst case scenarios. You know, 80% of people who get this 
will be, it's not, obviously it's like not just the cold or, you know, or just the flu. It's like a two week long experience of being sick, but most people will be okay and they'll recover on their own. I mean, everyone's scared of being the 20%, but even among the 20% that aren't the 80%, the majority of those people will be fine. 15% of them will just need to go to the hospital and get oxygen to help because they'll probably get pneumonia. And then it's the other 5% um, that become critical. And those 5% tend to, I, I mean, tend to be like older people and um, which isn't okay. I mean, it's not like that makes it okay, but if it's, it's just, you're probably going to be okay. Um, what Ryan is saying is- okay. Kevin's probably gonna be okay. The majority of us who get this will likely be okay. This is, my sister was explaining this to me too and it helped me. So I'm just saying it cause it might help you cause you have it is with this, with this issue, a lot of us might be mistaking the threat to society as a threat to our personal selves, but actually with COVID-19, the bigger threat isn't necessarily on a personal level, it's mm. on a societal level because it's overwhelming the hospitals, right? Because it's making all of these older people really severely sick because it's spreading and we don't know how to stop it. These are like, and because it's crashing economies, right? This is the stuff that mm -hmm. is we're reading in the news that's making us scared for ourselves getting sick maybe more than we should be, is what I'm saying. So <laughs> I think you'll be okay. <laughs> that's, very, that's very serious, but if I could insert a couple uh, moments of lightness here, you know, hopefully, Ronnie, you will be Prince Charles. And we all know that Prince Charles is probably not going to die from the coronavirus. How um, old is he, actually? Isn't he, he's like 50 he's, or something? He's in his 70s, I think. Prince Charles is 70? Yeah, I think he's 70. Oh, um, and oh, also, oh. the threat is not on a personal level. The threat is that Rand Paul might be in your community spreading coronavirus right. in your local gym. <laughs> oh man, what an idiot. Uh, so, um, and then, um, and I agree that something yeah. Mike Sarvis raised. So I was, I was seeing his comment. <laughs> um, do you want me to read another one? Yeah, yeah go for it. Um, we've got, uh, we've got a few more here with, I see you want to read Robert's here. Hold on. I'm not trying to find or, it. Robert. Or oh, sorry. Please. Um, do you have the one from Where? Giorgio? Um, on, 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 uh, on. that I said to you on WhatsApp, the, from Giorgio, do you want to read? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have it. Okay. I'll read that one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, looking forward to tonight's show. Hope you're watching. Hello, if you are. I'm very worried about the situations in Yemen and Gaza in terms of COVID-19. Needless to say, life was hell in both Yemen and Gaza prior to this global pandemic. But it is extremely disturbing to think about how coronavirus is set, um, make or making everything far worse. Any opinions, information you two could share about COVID-19 in relation to Yemen and or Gaza would be very valuable. Um, so I actually, I'm not sure if it's in Yemen yet. It probably is. I'm just assuming at this point it's in every country. Um, I do know it's in Gaza, which is very, very troubling because as we know, Gaza has been, Gaza's healthcare sector, along with the rest of the city, has been decimated by uh, periodic Israeli campaigns of terror um, over the last two decades. Uh, as well as being under an extreme blockade that limits the amount of medical equipment and medicines that can get into the country. So um, it's really scary that it's in Gaza. I don't know how they're going to deal with it. Israel doesn't seem prepared to lift any restrictions. Um, in fact, we've seen that Israel is still carrying out its occupation as it was before um, and being extra vicious. Uh, I saw like a video of them uh, there's like a, a lot of Palestinian workers that come in and out of Israel every day and there's a Palestinian worker who was sick and like coughing and they just threw him on the side of the road and then he collapsed and had to go to the hospital. They don't like, which I mean, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. So it's a very, it's a really scary situation. I can't predict what's going to happen, but based on how this virus affects humans in every single nation, um, I think what you're going to see in places like Gaza and Yemen and other places that have weak health, weak to no healthcare infrastructure because they're either war zones or de-developed countries um, is you're going to see a higher mortality rate. Um, mm. Whereas in the West, it's like, you know, depending on where and what age group, it's hovering between uh, like less than 1% in a place like Germany to up to 4% in a place like Wuhan. I think it was like almost 4%, um, which is a scary number, by the way. That's a scary number. And that's a place with infrastructure. 
So if you take that and you consider the amount of people that actually survive because they're given ventilators, those people in Gaza won't survive because they're not going to have access to ventilators. They're not going to have access to the anti-malaria drug that's being used to help some people. Um, they're not going to have access to oxygen. Not everybody's going to get the oxygen they need. So in places like Gaza, Yemen, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, you're going to see, unfortunately and scarily, a really high mortality rate. And actually, Mike Davis, uh, who's written a bunch of books, uh, recently wrote an article that was really good for Jacobin talking about that issue specifically in the article and comparing it to the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu in 1918, which I shouldn't even call it the Spanish flu. It was the flu pen. It was the 1918 flu. Yeah. Um, the 1918 flu uh, killed like up to 50 million people, maybe more around the world, had a mortality rate of three of two to three percent worldwide. But actually in places like India and Iran, which were dealing with British occupation, British um, empire, stealing their resources, being de-developed, having mass like mass um, malnutrition as a result, places like India and Iran, it was as high as 15% because people just were sicker. Their immune systems were compromised because they were living in a in a sick environment where you know they were dealing with malnutrition or they were dealing with other ailments, even young people. So I think that, that that's what you're going to see. Um, I've probably been ranting about this for too long, but it's scary. It's really scary. But that's what you're going to see in a lot of these countries. Yeah, and uh, just so I can get this in here, the World Health Organization actually did issue a, uh, a statement about Yemen saying that uh, they have not seen cases of the coronavirus yet, but they're taking steps to try and set up some kind of a quarantine facility in the city of Aden. They want to be prepared. I mean, they have a chance to get ahead of this. People who are involved in relief could really do um, important work here because once it gets there, because of the devastation from the Saudi and the United States bombing, um, the famine already survived a cholera epidemic in the past couple of years, or probably it could still be there. Um, the infrastructure has been destroyed in many parts of Yemen. So we know just how susceptible they would be to the spread of the coronavirus because they don't, they, I mean, it says here that they lack access to clean water and soap, and that's an immediate sign that they would be vulnerable to the spread of this. Uh, so yeah, this, yes. is a, this is a great question. It's a really good question to get in here. So I'm glad. There, look, there's, there's 70 million, there's 70 million refugees crammed into camps around the world. It's, this is a disaster for those, for those populations. I wish I had uh, something nicer to say, but this is going to be a disaster for those populations for all the reasons Kevin just mentioned. Well, I, I no longer can hear Rania, but I'll keep on muddling through and just Did say I mute? Did I mute? that uh, no. we've got this comment here and I'm uh, flying a little blind, but I'm going to read this from Ian. Uh, this was his rant that he had to share about Congress, which was fuck Congress and the corporate class for treating themselves to the to trillions in free money and leaving everyone else with a $1,200 payment that comes in July and $600 extra in unemployment. Is that extra $600 going to prevent people from losing their apartment and their health insurance in the Cobra is expensive as fuck. In the middle of a pandemic health crisis, millions are losing their jobs and access to healthcare. Nurses and doctors are basically being sacrificed with no protective gear and Congress decides to give Wall Street trillions with no strings attached. My friend who works in the ER in Seattle says they have no personal protective equipment and are barred from making their own. The 0.1% are using the virus as a weapon against the rest of the population to expand their wealth and control. Fuck everyone who voted for this and everyone in the federal government who did jack shit to contain or mitigate the spread of this virus. I just don't see how this many mistakes could be anything other than policy and to see that corporate free-for-all that largely abandons workers really cements it in my mind that this is the result of some deliberately cruel and sinister policy choices. Uh, and so, um, yeah, uh, Rania, I have apparently lost your feed. So why don't you go ahead since they can hear both of us 
Um, I apologize. We ha I had a change to my internet happen today, and it has apparently made my Wi-Fi some of the worst possible internet to be trying to attempt a live stream tonight. Yeah. But we've only got like 10 or so minutes left. So what if you go ahead and um, respond to what Ian said, and uh, when you're done, let me know on the private chat here, and I'll read the next comment that we have from patrons. Okay. So uh, sorry for all the technical difficulties, you guys. Thanks for bearing with us. Um, I I think that's a good way of putting it. I I mean, it it does feel like this is it is a it is a result of deliberate policies. I mean, you have the greed of the wealthy in this country that has led to all of the policy failures that we're experiencing right now, from lack of capacity in hospitals to no medical protective equipment, to no health insurance, or people having to pay like $30,000 for coronavirus treatment, um, to no job security, everything, to the fact that we have homeless people who don't have anywhere to shelter and during shelter in place, to the fact that we have like all of these nursing homes that are understaffed and lack in sanitation, where this is spreading and we're not even being told by federal officials in which nursing homes it's spreading, which is really, really scary. And I want to make a point about, this is like the result of are so unprepared for a pandemic. Um, and I think the best encapsulation of that is lack of hospital beds. For the past like 40 years, starting under Ronald Reagan, we have had this policy of trying to downsize hospitals. And it was ramped up, by the way, under Obama. Obama administration actually incentivized hospitals to get rid of beds um, and rid of services, like surplus services and equipment, which is the opposite of what you do to plan for a pandemic. You have all of these experts that have been warning, we're gonna have a pandemic soon. We're gonna have a pandemic soon. It's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. But neoliberalism is all about greed and cutting things so the rich can get richer. So one of the things they cut is hospital beds. So literally, like my brother-in-law is telling me at his hospital, they're already almost all the time at 90% capacity because the government under a Democrat incentivized hospitals to get rid of what they consider to be extra space that they don't need. It's a waste of resources to have equipment and beds you're not using, okay? So now you have all these hospitals that on a typical day, in a typical month, they're already at 90% capacity. They actually, hospitals get more money from the federal government for having fewer beds and fewer resources, which is crazy. And so now what do you do when you have this insane virus that's putting so many people in the hospital and in the ICU, not just like a hospital bed where they just need to be monitored, in the fucking ICU, you run out of beds very quickly and you're seeing the result of that in New York City where more hospitals were set to be shuttered, by the way, this year and next year, but they had to put that on hold. So I think that this is like all of these deliberate, sociopathic, um, heartless, cruel, capitalistic policies um, that have been put in place for the past several decades have led us to this moment where we're watching our country fail in every way imaginable. And even as it fails, the most powerful and wealthiest people are using it as an opportunity to transfer more wealth to themselves. And I think I need to tell Kevin I'm done because he can't hear me. <laughs> I just messaged Kevin that I'm done ranting. All right. Well, so, and just to explain to you, if we, if I left and came back, we'd end the broadcast and we'd lose all of you and the live stream wouldn't keep going. So um, I appreciate Rania for ranting. It sounded like some A plus ranting. And I also, I'll just show you, I have it up here on my phone. So it's working just fine here. And I'm really glad that you all are still enjoying. We've got a few more comments we'll squeeze in here as we are about to wrap. And this is a, there's a really good one here that we've got from, uh, this one came here from Robert. And Robert said, hey guys, I just wanted to add to this great discussion. I am myself hypochondriac and that was scary. For a few days as I have allergies that can manifest as flu-like symptoms and I wasn't sure if I had allergies or a beginning of flu or the coronavirus but now I can say that I've never been so happy to have allergies um, and then he left LMAO here 
Anyways, the future is so uncertain that the present is what we should cherish the most. So the question I'm asking is how do you see the future of the post neoliberal Western world, which is an intensely philosophical question to ask um, and one that uh, we probably cannot tackle here in the last five to 10 minutes of the show adequately. Uh, but nonetheless, it's probably going to be the focus of a lot of our discussion about the coronavirus pandemic. And if I could just add one quick thought here before I pass it over to Rania to, um, to, to hit, I mean, I, I would say that, you know, we've sort of touched on some of this in the broadcast already, but the, but the one thing that's clear is that the, the post neoliberal Western world is not going to have uh, the US, it's not gonna have Europe as the leaders. We're going to see Asia. I mean, I take that question to almost have that in there implicitly. Implicitly, we are going to see countries that have more credibility and that are better leaders than us. Um, it's going to mean tolerating a multipolar world. It's going to be quite a shock. Look at the pundit class. Look at the political class, what they're going to have to deal with, uh, recognizing that the U.S. is not the center of the world, that we're not number one. I mean, they're definitely going to be going through some kind of shell shock. The meltdowns, um, once this becomes a reality that sets in and they're aware of, of what's happened, um, they may even surpass what it was like when they thought Bernie Sanders was going to be the next Democratic nominee. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what Ronnie has to say to that. Uh, but Ronnie, go ahead. Um, this philosophical question of what the future of the post-neoliberal Western world might be. Um, and then we'll mention a few comments here from people who have been watching and we'll close. Yeah, I agree with what Kevin said about the way things are going to go geopolitically, where you're going to have I mean, I wouldn't bet that the U.S. is suddenly going to not be a powerful country, but it's certainly going to have lost a lot of credibility. And you're going to have a lot of a lot of countries that used to look to the U.S. looking towards uh, countries like China. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing, uh, given that the U.S. is like the sociopathic capitalist empire that just destroys from both both without and within. Um, internally in the U.S., though, I'm not quite sure. That is a philosophical question that requires, I think, more a little bit more thought and debate, but it could go either way. I think there is an opportunity um, to, from the ground level, move in a progressive direction. We have a lot of limits right now, though, because it's actually really hard to organize when you can't meet in person. It's actually a really difficult thing to do. There's also a chance it could go in the other direction. Um, and this is where my sort of pessimistic attitude comes in. And anybody who's a regular listener of the show knows that I'm typically the pessimistic person of the two of us. Um, it could also go in the other direction where, like I mentioned earlier, you have this like societal breakdown in a country awash with guns um, and you have a rise in fascist groups. That could happen too. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope the progressive side wins out. You know, and the third scenario is the capitalist class, the neoliberalism, all of that shit becomes more entrenched and gets worse. Um, and, and the status quo sort of remains as it is. Um, I don't know how realistic that is. We have to wait and see. I'm rooting for the progressive side. Um, and I actually think, you know, I think that's a great question. And I think that me and Kevin, I'll tell him this when he can hear me, should maybe think about a political scientist or somebody um, who knows more about this kind of stuff to come on and actually talk about it in a philosophical sense, in a real sense, and like talk about the different ways things could go. I'd actually like to hear that. So we'll come back to that question. And I guess I'll, I'll let Kevin know I'm done. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a few comments here that uh, jumped out as we're wrapping, and I apologize for the awkwardness here, but this is absolutely the right way to handle it without totally blowing up this show. It's been so great to speak with all of you and uh, do this um, and it'll be great the next time that we do this because I won't have this glitch. Um, but, uh, you know, Kenneth said, America is not the richest country in the world. It has the richest ruling class in the world. It's a big yeah, difference. That's a good point. Um, I think that's a fair distinction when you look at how we're handling. I mean, how do you define rich? Um, it's not very rich if we don't take care of the most vulnerable and like the poorest among us. Um, the other thing I'll add that jumped out at me that I thought was worth uh, mentioning is Mr. K noted that the lockdown was causing clean air across the planet. Uh, it turns out that Milan, <laughs> yeah. Northern Italy, and Wuhan 
China, uh, where air pollution hotspots, where I live, there's the first sunshine in the year, no rain. I think that's important. We've seen that actually shutting down all around the world has probably curtailed our emissions significantly. Um, and um, I'll read a couple more, and then Rania can react to the, the, the climate change aspect of this, uh, the climate emergency part of this. Uh, we've got some really um, good... Uh, Mike said, I'm terrified for my 70-year-old mother who has severe asthma. Um, and I completely empathize with you, Mike, because um, that is, that is terrible. Anybody with any conditions like that, um, I would be terrified to, to know. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I wanna thank everyone for following. Do you have anything uh, to say here before we were to close, Rania? I mean, it's been so great to speak to all of you. Yeah, so about the climate change aspect of it, I'm sure all of us have noticed this, uh, that stopping human activity, sadly, has had the impact of making the air cleaner. Um, I What's wrong, Kevin? What? Uh-oh. Okay, I'm going to keep talking and just pretend he didn't do that. Um, and yeah, it does, like, it, it does seem disturbing to me. It's like humans are so bad for the earth. Um, but at the same time, lesson and maybe apply them after it's over like the air is cleaner maybe we should consider living in a different way um and to the grab the person who mentioned that they're scared for their seven-year-old grandmother who's sick i think this is um something that a lot of us can relate to like my dad is in his late 70s and he's got all kinds of ailments like a lot of people in their late 70s do uh, my mom is in her late 60s and she you know she's got hypertension um and this is that's terrifying. So I my parents are 20 minutes away from me. Uh, and I haven't seen them since I got back to the US because I don't want to infect them if I have it. Uh, it's a terrible situation that we're living in where we literally have to distance ourselves from the people we love to protect them. Um, but it's for the best. Like, if you have somebody who's unhealthy, and they can, they need to stay home, you need to make sure that you beg them to stay home and don't go see them if you're somebody who moves around because you might have it and give it to them. Um, but yeah, it's a scary situation. I think we're all in the same boat and I'm really, really disturbed by and sick of the mentality that, oh, it's no big deal if old people die. It is a big deal. Those are our parents and grandparents. I don't want them to die. I want them to live and I don't care if it means the economy crashes. Um, so I'm with you, dude. I'm with you fearing things about what's to come for our loved ones. Um, and I can only say, like, the best thing we can do is do what we can control. And the things we can control are who we see, who we interact with, and, you know, things like washing your hands and not touching your face and trying to limit your interactions with other people, uh, especially older people, uh, in case you have it, is the best we can do. And on that note, I'm going to tell Kevin, so what a funny way to do a show. <laughs> where our listeners can see and hear us, but one of us can't see and hear the other person. I'm going to end the broadcast here. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>